Hello and welcome to Patris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing Twice Tempted by a Rogue by Tessa Dare. This was published in 2010 and is the second book in the Stud Club series. <laughs> we reviewed the first one a couple of weeks ago, so check that out if you want to hear our first um, review. Uh, but let's just jump straight into the jacket. Luck is a double-edged sword for brooding war hero Reese St. Mar. His death wish went unanswered on the battlefield while fate allowed the murder of his good friend in the elite gentleman's society known as the Stud Club. Out of options, Reese returns to his ancestral home on the moors of Devonshire, expecting anything but a chance of redemption in the arms of a beautiful innkeeper who who dares him to take on the demons of his past and the sweet temptation of a woman's love. Meredith Maddox believes in hard work, not fate, and romance isn't part of her plan. But when Reese returns, battle-scarred, world-weary, and more dangerously attractive than ever, the lovely widow is torn between determination and desire. As a deep mystery and dangerous smugglers threaten much more than their passionate reckoning, Meredith discovers that she must trust everything to a wager her heart placed long ago. That second paragraph is a mess. It doesn't make much sense. Also, the first paragraph says his good friend was murdered. Good friend wasn't murdered. He wasn't friends with, with the dude who got killed. But whatever. Yeah. I don't, I'm like, eh, that stuff, I'm like, whatever, can gloss over it. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, honestly, I don't have it in me to, like, criticize this jacket any longer because, you know. Honestly, it's just a word salad. Like, it's not even like I can point to specific problems. Yeah. What in the dangerous smugglers threaten much more than their passionate reckoning? Reckoning? <laughs> yes. Apparently, a deep mystery to... and dangerous smuggle. smugglers. I... Meredith discovered she must trust everything to a wager her heart placed long ago. All right. Well, before we move on to the tropes, which might explain some of this word salad, we wrote our own uh, summaries based on a random number. And this week, that random number is 28. Uh, so, Lane, you, you can take this one away. So first, she only wants sex and he wants feelings, but she's been in love with him forever and her lifelong voyeurism forces him to reevaluate the past. So it was like very Bugs Bunny. It forces him. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, here's mine. When your childhood crush, now an Earl, propositions you after 15 years, the obvious answer is yes. When he proposes to you, the obvious answer is no? Reese was, Reese was an interesting character in terms of his views on marriage and how he presented them. Reese was interesting. I was, this is one of the books we've, this is one thing that we complain about relatively often. It's like, why are you, why do you not want to marry him? Like, yeah. I don't understand why you would turn down this person. Anyway. It's fine. So this week we do have a Gentleman Jackson. It's Gentleman Jackson's Get Fit Workout for the Absentee Landlord Nobleman. And this is not the first one we've had with almost that exact title. <laughs> I know. 
Um, so he already has a pretty impressive physique from his life in the military, right? Right. But how is he maintaining it in the current book? Well, first of all, he rides his horse. Of course. (laughs) I didn't mean that to rhyme, but yes, of course he rides his horse to stay Um, fit. And then he decides that the way he's always gotten the trust of his subordinates is by showing them he's not afraid to do the work he would ask them to do. And that includes things like menial labor and construction. So, yeah, he, like, picks up a lot of stones and puts them down again. Um, In the shape of a house. Yes, yes. He's building the foundation of a house. And then when it gets all knocked over, he just does it again. And then he's like, I'll make my own plaster by, like, mixing it myself. And I put this in tropes as well because I thought that was, you know, a really subtle metaphor. It's very subtle. Building a house. And then even if it gets knocked down, continuing Continuing. to build the foundation up. And the book um, maybe explains that in literal words. Mm -hmm. But I mean, even more than just the house, he also, he also like carves newel posts and stuff like that. I don't know that carving finials is what makes you rich. (laughs) It's not rich, but it's, you know, it means he's, he's, um, devoted to this house but that's not gentleman jackson oh no i'm sorry i thought we were moving on to the tropes oh okay that makes more sense too late for us i think (laughs) okay major trope in this book childhood crush yeah so she was like yeah she was the mousy girl who was the daughter of someone in service and he was the sexy lord's son but Spoiler alert, he's got daddy issues because said Lord sucks. So he was never really aware of her, but he was also dealing with like his own deep trauma. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things I kind of liked about this one is it's not, it's in no way related to like the bully romance. You know, he wasn't like mean to her and Mm -hmm. he wasn't ignoring her. He didn't know she had a crush on him and he was like, ugh, that little girl. He just was completely oblivious because he had a real shitty childhood. And he knew she existed. Like, when she says her name, he's like, oh, I totally remember you. It's Mm -hmm. just she was a background character in his life, not like he was a dick or anything. Yep. Um, So he's an absentee Earl returning. Yep, he's back. Which, as mentioned in Gentleman Jackson, like, that's all he does. Um, They take a lot of baths in this book. So, like, they jump in a pond where she used to watch him bathe, and then they actually share a tub, and then they go to bath to the baths they go to the baths and there's so many individual tropes with baths and like bathing i could mention but this book just has all of them all you can think of a bathing trope here you go so we mentioned this already but he's building a house which is a metaphor for building a life for settling down for and whatever you think it's a metaphor for it's a metaphor for she pulls an Edward Cullen and sneaks into his bedroom to watch him while he sleeps, but it's because she wants to check his dick to make sure it works. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> like, I don't know a different way to say that. It it was hilarious. It was obviously problematic, TM, and I just, Tessa Dare, you crossed the ridiculous line, and I'm like, okay. It's, it's so problematic, but the way she presents it is so silly that you're like, yeah, I'm done with it. Yeah. 
they do have to fake being husband and wife on the road. I think have to is a real stretch. I mean, yeah, but <laughs> they have to. Okay. But they do it. Um, and the way this small town abandoned by him has been surviving is smuggling. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that a lot, but I liked the twist on it here where he actually points out that smuggling was pouring money into the French and making his life on the battlefield harder. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of times smuggling is romanticized. Oh, absolutely. It's it's kind of like the pirates who aren't really pirates, so they can be right. romanticized. And also, it's it's a victimless crime. No one gets hurt. Yeah. No, definitely. Remember the one, golly, what was the one we read where they were smugglers, but they weren't actually smugglers? They just had to do it at night because they wanted to feel like real men. I think it's a sinister book. Sinister it's it was the church. It was being run out of the church and it was they were getting paid. It was the censor. She was and she was running it out of the church with like an actual book and it was totally above board. Yes. That, that we should have known that was a censor plot. Good call. Oh my god. All right. So I liked this book, but honestly, I was so annoyed that she wouldn't marry him. I was like really annoyed. Basically, Meredith has been scrimping and saving. Um, to keep the town alive. So she's like, my goal in life is to make sure that this town survives. She's like, I guess, the only employer in town. She runs a tavern. Don't, I don't smugglers. Ask me, yeah, don't ask me how. That's right, with smugglers. So I guess they spend their smuggle money in her tavern. Smuggle? <laughs> like, were you talking about Winterborn bucks? Smuggle money. <laughs> I think that's the technical term for it. In the <laughs> so anyway, the the Earl comes back to town. She thinks he's hot. She's been in love with him. She's been halfway in love with him for years and years and years. He comes back to town. He's rich. He's like, let's get married. I will restore the manor, bring industry back to the town. She's like, no, I really just want to stay an innkeeper. Sorry. I was like, really, Meredith? Really? And I honestly, they tried to play it as like a, you'd own my inn or you'd make me stop inning. But that is so thin when you realize one, how shitty this inn is. But more significantly, she's like uber in love with him. She's like super in love with him. And also he seems to do what, he seems to be willing to do whatever to be with her. So all she has to do is say, look, I will marry you, but you need to let me keep managing the inn. I mean, I understand that she's a little bit offended because he keeps saying, I'll rescue you from this life. I'll take you away from all that. But all she's got to do is sit down and just like have a talk with him and say, I will marry you. I will be your countess, but I'm going to be an innkeeper countess. And he would be like, okay, fine. You know what? I'll do anything to be with you. I, this also had like 65 too many threads, which would have bothered me way more if it weren't for the fact that the second half of this book is just a sex book and like it foregoes plot entirely, but there's these smugglers and then there's like the mystery of who murdered the guy from the first book and the inn has to take care of the major witness in that crime. And Bellamy is out looking for the criminal so he can get rice to restore oh, beat him up. God. Yeah. Cause there's the, oh my gosh, there's the plot thread from the first book. And then there's the, 
his manor house that he lived in growing up burned down and he's blaming himself, but he doesn't know the whole story and he wants to take care of the employees he abandoned. And then she has a, there's a secret, secret person trying to like undermine his efforts. Mm -hmm. And that's a weird twist at the end that sort of comes out of left field. And then that doesn't even get into the smuggling ring and convincing the townspeople to work for him for like a relatively short book. This had like, so many B plots and, and I would care yeah. more except once they start having sex I count it from 49% to 62% is just one long sex scene <laughs> then the next scene sex scene starts at 65% literally from 50% to 90% I think there are like 10 pages with no sex on them there's a lot there's a lot of sex in this book it's a kind of a and sex book you're right it's motivated by different things mm-hmm so, like, first, all of the sexiness, which is before they actually have sex, is her trying to convince him that he should have sex with her. Oh, yeah, and because he's like, she, he's like, I won't have sex with you unless we get married. Um, He also has a trait we fucking love in a hero, which is husband celibate for, like, ever. For, like, for like literally ever. He, I think he's had sex, like, twice. He hasn't had sex in 11 years. And he hasn't sex. Right. And so, like, and then when he talks about his experience before, it's like. It was one person who wasn't a prostitute, but they don't go into how many prostitutes. I mean, they don't, but he only had, like, two years. Right. If you look look at his lifespan, he only had two years during which he could have had sex and then made the timeline work. So. And she is a sexually uninhibited widow, which also works for Meg and I. Yeah, so I was like, going to say also, thank God, I was so happy that she was a widow who not only had had sex with her husband, because that's not a given in a historical romance, but she'd also had sex with several other, you know, passing, passing customers at the inn, because she's like, yeah, I want to have, she's a married widow, she's like, I want to have sex, which, yeah. Mm-hmm. We have so many issues with women not having sex after they get widowed. Yeah. So. Um, so. It's a it's a messy plot. Mm-hmm. And I don't love that she doesn't want to marry him. And I don't necessarily love that he just comes in announcing what he's going to do. And it kind of completely changes his characterization. And it was over the top. But I think ultimately, like the major defining archetypes of these two main characters are ones I like. Yeah. And there was enough humor and levity to the book that, like, I thought it was a good time. Absolutely. And so I was sort of willing to look past a lot of its rough edges. I had fun reading this book, for sure. Um, so, content warnings, because there are bunches. So he suffered some major child abuse when he was young. Like, oh it's my God. horrendous. And this is not the time to think of it, but so one of the major tropes is scars. Yeah. And one of her thoughts is like, she doesn't know which scars are from the battlefield and which battlefield scars are covering up the scars from being an abused child. Mm-hmm. That's how intense this abuse was. So, um, he was in the military and pretty clearly has some PTSD. Yeah. It's, it's rough. Major PTSD trope nightmare. She has to rouse him from. Yeah. She's got to rouse him from nightmares. And then also, you know, seeing seeing beautiful scenes makes him think of, think of all the horrors of war, basically. Um, um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, also one more content warning, just to throw it out there. Cause I would be remiss if I didn't, there's a working prostitute whose descent into prostitution at the age of 13 is described in some detail. And she is now on the road to redemption or whatever you want to call it. Whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I mean, she's a very sympathetic character. But really? I think someone being forced into prostitution at the age of 13 deserves a trigger warning. No, you're right. And I would just say general content warning. This book is pretty violent. Like there's a fight he gets into at the end where he knocks a guy's tooth out and they describe the tooth bouncing across the floor. It's like, actually very, very violent. Yeah, I agree. Um, weird. I'm not usually one to notice it. And like I can totally get into a brawler hero and not view it as problematic, but he did solve his problems with violence and it's a thing his character is working on and to see him regress in the very last scene and like not just like teach someone a lesson with a right hook but like actually beat a character up who didn't deserve it to the point that they were like a bloody pulp on the floor was not right well and it, it was you know mary had to had to be like stop you're gonna kill him it was like it was that kind of fight which, yeah. Yeah. But um, as we said, this book is a sex book. So. So she spends the first half of the book trying real hard to seduce him and making out. And like, there are so many moments where she's like, let's find a bed. And the fact that she pulls off of him to ask for the bed is the only thing that stops him from hooking up with her. So I will say the first half of the book, there's kind of a lot of coitus interruptus. Yes. In many places, like yeah. in the bedroom, in the creek, <laughs> in the tavern while she's stitching up a head wound. So many, so many different places. There's a lot of almost doesn't count. But then they go on this road trip as husband and wife. And he's like, by the end of tonight, you will agree to marry me. And guess what? He is right. They have sex all night long. That's like the 12% long sex scene. All night long. And then um, they start confessing truths about the past, and she admits she has always had feelings for him. And apparently this this is the breaking point for him. I was like, what the heck? The whole thing is confusing. But it leads to, like, some really hot sex, though. Yeah, no... Overall, is this Tessa Dare's best work? No. Is it a tight plot? No. The major twist at the end and the way they weren't talking to each other about what they felt about it was just sort of eye-rolly. But it's a really good time. I know we said this about the first one, but it's the groundwork for what made Tessa Dare great and what continues to make Tessa Dare great. And if you like Tessa Dare, you should read this series. If you like Tessa Dare and if you like Tessa Dare's sex scenes, you should definitely read this one. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'd love it if you would rate, review, subscribe, and check us out around the internet on Goodreads slash Plot Trists or on Instagram at Plot Trists.